Every time I hear that scripture from Micah, I am struck by the profound image of the peaceable kingdom here on earth. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. It is the reason for my being, and it is why I am standing before you today. One spring month in 1969, my father, father plucked me from my grade 11 class at Rockway Mennonite School to take me on a whirlwind trip to Haiti, that poor sister of the Dominican Republic. Even then, Haiti was viewed as a destitute, diseased-ridden dictatorship ruled by the self-imposed president for life, Papa Dr. Valier, and his infamous private army, the Tonton Makut. But to my father, Haiti was the pearl of the Antilles, a country that held both intrigue and promise. An American business colleague of his had invited him to visit a hospital in the capital city of Port-au-Prince that treated children with tuberculosis, a a disease of the lungs that is quite prevalent in Haiti. It was an ominous first visit that resonated with my father's own lifelong affliction with asthma and a personal commitment made as a young adult to give his life to serving the marginalized in our community and in our world. And although he poured his phenomenal energy into mobilizing a nationwide inoculation program against TB in the 70s, my father understood that this is not where Haiti's problems would be solved. He was a guy that liked to get to the root of the problem. He imagined the solution to be in the rural countryside where most of the population eked out a living through agriculture. He established FIDA, the organization I represent, with a mandate to help the poorest of the poor become masters of their own destiny. True development, he theorized, must be envisioned by the people, owned by the people, and managed by the people. If not, all efforts will surely fail. While I generally viewed my father as a patient man, this was less exhibited when he had a vision of achieving something. He was one that preferred making his own line instead of standing in one. In Haiti, that no line was agriculture. Haiti, once the richest colony in the Caribbean and less than 60 years ago had the ability to feed itself, is now 70% dependent on food imports. Christian organizations are the largest importers of donated food products that dooms every single farmer in Haiti to perpetual poverty because they cannot compete with free or heavily subsidized food imports. A country that cannot feed itself, says my father, will forever be poor. FIDA PCH, the organization founded by my father in 1980, provides resources to Haitian men and women who are motivated to become invested shareholders in their own cooperative agricultural enterprise. As resource providers, we are not typically initiators. We respond to communities upon invitation. This ensures that the essential ingredients of ownership, motivation, choice, buy-in, and benefit are there. In its 35-year history, FIDA PCH has provided resources to over 40 cooperatives and about 12,000 members throughout Haiti through the application of participatory methodology. So what do I know about the peaceable kingdom and what it takes here on Earth? I'm going to tell you five things I've learned. I have learned more than five, but for the sake of keeping this uh, under a reasonable amount of time, I'm sticking to five. Uh, The first one is there is no such thing as child poverty. It's not child poverty, it's adult poverty. Poverty is about lack of resources, both internal and external, that leads to an inability to provide for oneself and one's family. Feeding programs, pseudo-orphanages, and child sponsorship programs erode the dignity of parents who deeply desire to have the opportunity to provide for their children, 
and it leaves behind angry and resentful families and divided communities. Unfortunately, promoting starving children has proven to be a profitable marketing strategy until it isn't. One very large organization that has successfully employed this strategy for decades has recently acknowledged that this has not proven sustainable in the multitude of communities they have engaged in. This approach is also not resonating with donors as child sponsorship revenue is in serious decline. So we were invited to meet with them to do a pilot study to consider a sustainable owner-based model in two of their communities, uh, which happened this past fall. We at Feed a PCH have a little slogan. We say, feed children, invest in their parents. Second, fight poverty is a contradiction in terms. Poverty is a violence. Fighting poverty is empty, empty rhetoric, rhetoric sorry, used by politicians, protesters, and charities. Its hollow ring is not lost on the poor who understand that poverty has become their commodity. It was a topic we addressed in adult Sunday school today. Poverty, like war, disease, and disaster, is a business in most countries like Haiti that serve the interest of international investors and the 10,000 missions and NGOs that arrive on its shores to help, heal, save, or fix the country. Haiti is not poor for lack of money. It is quite simply not invested in those that desire change. The author of the Harry Potter series, J.K. Rowling, who founded an organization called LUMOS, recently undertook a survey of orphanages in Haiti. The 80 to 90% of the 30,000 children in orphanages are not orphans, yet their operators receive 70 million a year from churches and missions. While parents will sell their child to an orphanage for $500 or simply give them away, a family in Haiti provides for a family of five on about 1,500 per year, given the opportunity and choice. What are we thinking? Poverty does not need to be fought. Our self-interest does. Third, life is fair. While life may indeed seem unfair, especially to those who are perennially disadvantaged, I have learned that little to nothing is gained by attributing this to the unfairness of life. Donors are often compelled to give because they feel they are blessed. This implies that Haitians are not. I counter that Haitians are also blessed. They have year-round growing seasons, ample rainfall and sun, varied topography, significant labor pool, and so on. However, they have a cultural view that does not place them as actors in their environment, but rather as being acted upon. This cultural view, coupled with the historic scars of slavery, such as fear, mistrust, low self-esteem, and so on, contributes to a diminished capability to recognize and manage resources. Cultivating an ability to do so is exactly what we do. We facilitate that. On a personal note, I believe that seeing life as fair is an attitude that enables us to see that within every adversity there is a blessing or opportunity of equal or greater value. Helping hurts. I've given this more than a little thought. There's even a book called uh, When Helping Hurts. And despite the number of people I encountered that have read it, it doesn't seem to have helped. <laughs> I have come to have the opinion that almost all forms of helping that are premised on a view of need when it's based on I have and you don't is in the interest of the help helper and hurtful to the receiver, especially when applied on a long-term basis. 
I'm not talking about helping an old lady across the street. That's not the kind of thing I'm talking about here. Every year, one half of this little island of Haiti, which is uh, hedging on 11 million people, has some 10,000 mission aid relief type organizations and receives some 200,000 visitors each year who are coming to help heal, save, and fix Haiti. This has been done for some 60 to 70 years at the cost of billions of dollars. Yet Haiti remains poor. The majority are illiterate, live on less than $3 a day, have little to no access to health care, education, or hope of gainful employment. This has resulted in a people that can be characteristically described as having low self-esteem, suspicious, fearful, mistrustful, and passive-aggressive due to consistently and historically being viewed as the poor who need us. A high school friend of mine, who's a doctor, traveled to Haiti with me um, a couple years ago. Over dinner, we met a medical team who had just arrived for their 12th visit. And it's very interesting that when you talk to people, they always describe their affection for Haiti in terms of how many times they visited. This was their 12th. My doctor friend began discussing their activities and types of medication they dispensed. It was revealed that many of the medications they dispensed actually did more harm than good. I asked if after 12 years they had not considered another strategy. Three times, I asked. My question went unanswered. I cannot tell you how many times I hear of medical teams dispensing drugs that have limitations. When I ask, the response is that this is in God's hands. And while I'm aware of the magnitude of God's abilities, I believe it's not to assume that we can be irresponsible. God knows better. Peace and productivity are inextricably linked. There is a saying that the firstborn, or maybe I was just raised this way, that uh, the firstborn of Russian Mennonite parents have no childhood. Um, it was certainly true in my case. I was born to be productive and to embrace peace. I believe these values to be inextricably linked. Productivity is the ultimate solution to the ultimate violence of poverty. Back in the 80s, when there wasn't any money in empowering people to be masters of their own destiny, as my dad was fond of saying, many who had other agendas dismissed him. This did not deter him, nor the brave men and women of Haiti who stepped forward in response. Just about any vision worth its salt requires a foundation of principles and values such that are less about physical structures and activities and more about affirming our humanity leading us toward productive and peaceful communities through respectful relationships. As common sense as this sounds, it's a tough thing to fund because a donor cannot as easily visualize the transformation of human lives as much as he can a church. It also repositions the role of donor and places the beneficiaries at the heart of their own development process. This becomes a different kind of feel-good it benefits the many people. It, this becomes a different kind of feel-good benefit that many people often can't get their head around. Let me tell you about Father Michael. Father Michael regularly brings students to Haiti to spend a week doing traditional charity activities. As he, uh, after the end of one trip, and his, he and his group were leaving, he came up to me and asked if he could ask me a question. I said, of course. He said, I've just spent 10 days in Haiti with 40 kids. Each one of these kids say they are leaving Haiti with more than they brought. And we brought a lot of stuff. Is this wrong? I answered, no, Father Michael, this is not wrong. Just next time, 
Be upfront with your students. Tell them what they will come away with. Let Haitians know that you are here to learn. Ask them what they want you to know about them and their country. It will transform your relationship. And leave your stuff at home. Father Michael went away a very sorrowful man because he could not let go of what he most needed, feeling good by letting the poor know they are poor. The story of the rich man looking for the keys to the kingdom is about giving up your treasures because in that is often what separates you from your humanity. So what do we do with what we have learned? How have we come to understand what it takes to effectively work in a country such as Haiti that is respectful and appropriate? Aside from knowing that we can save ourselves about 10 years by putting Haitians on the front line, um, we have no foreigners on staff uh, in Haiti at all. There's me, but I'm kind of in the, in the back, back line. And believing that there is solid expertise and commitment already in country, not all Haitians are poor and illiterate, we take an investment-based approach that focuses on what people have and what they can do, as opposed to engaging them because of what they are not and what they cannot do. This is foundational to fostering mutually respectful and productive relationships. I got five more points, but they are very short. Number one, make sure you are invited. It's a good idea to have this documented. You can avoid a lot of mistrust if the initiative comes from those who desire the change and have the vision. Number two, do your homework. Get to know all aspects of the community from the community. And the second most important step to ensuring ownership is at the local level. Number three, don't lead, follow. The community must set the pace and the agenda. Four, exercise humility. You are not the expert. They are and treat them as such. Five, give nothing for free. There is no respect or responsibility in free stuff. This happens when they are invested. Trust and respect happens when there is equal and or shared partnership. Uh, and this quote was in my uh, previous article in Adult Sunday School by Benjamin Disraeli, who said, the greatest thing you can do for someone is not to share your riches, but to reveal to them their own. Poverty is a problem that is best solved by exercising our humanity. Sustainable development is about motivation, it's about ownership, autonomy, choice, empowerment, and self-management. Without motivation, there is little likelihood of worthy action, and it's an important thing to assess when you are doing your homework when working with uh, the marginalized. The founding vision of the organization I work with was guided in part by this little bit of Chinese wisdom. Go in search of your people, love them, plan with them, begin with what they have, build on what they know, but of the best leaders, when their task is accomplished, their work is done, the people all remark, we have done it ourselves. As Christians, as followers of the Prince of Peace, we are called to be agents of peace, and poverty is the greatest violence. When asking cooperative members what cooperative has meant to them, you will hear. Cooperative has brought us good seed. It has brought us water and literacy. It has taught us how to manage ourselves, how to solve our problems without a machete. It's taught us how to be good leaders. It allows us to send our children to school and to hold our schools accountable. Cooperative has brought us unity and harmony. Cooperative has brought us peace. A couple of years ago, I was in a village where we had constructed an irrigation system that had transformed the community of Wolf St. Mark from a cracked desert to a veritable Eden. 
It was 10 years later and I was here walking the canal uh, system with uh, representatives from Premier Equipment, who is the John Deere dealership and uh, a longtime corporate donor. We stopped to chat with a group of farmers having their lunch under a mango tree. This is the community where my father helped launch the first cooperative in December 1984. So my Haitian colleague says, does anyone remember Jack Wall? As the hands go up, I find myself deeply moved. Then the president of the cooperative speaks. He waves his hands and he says to all of us, every mango tree, every avocado tree, plantain tree you see, every rice field, every bean field that you see is because of Jack Wall. Every living thing you see before you has within it the spirit of Jack Wall. He brought us cooperative, he brought us literacy and water, and he brought us his daughter. Ah. <laughs> he then exhorts, it is for all of us as Haitians and as foreigners to continue this vision, to pass on to our children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. There is no greater confirmation of our purpose here on earth that then to know that in some corner of the world, there is a more peaceful, productive community because of you. Indeed, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. And everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. The peaceable kingdom is here on earth.